Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and it is uh, just, we just completed our spring fundraiser, and that was spectacular. So thank you so much for participating, for caring about Faith Radio, for loving on us, for giving us so many words of affirmation of what God is doing through this radio and through the ministry of Faith Radio and the differences that you are making. You are changing lives. All right, having said all that, and I think I've said that many times throughout the week, I think it's time to get back to business. And today is Guide Talk or Guys Who Talk. Glad to say it's going to be an extended version, which means we have extra time for your questions. Are you guys learning about this extended version for the first time right now? We are. It's wonderful. <laughs> Did you guys not know we're going to 530? Yeah, I, just, I thought I'm, this was an extended week. I'm so here I was kind of expecting it. Good, I'm good. here until we're done. Yep, what can I say? Good. So congratulations, by the way, on a great fundraiser and a great week. Bill, I listened to you quite a bit over the last few days. You guys are wonderful. What you're doing here at Faith Radio is fantastic. It's been wonderful. And I'm I'm really, my heart's so full. So thank you. I probably will gush several times throughout the next 90 (laughs) minutes of Guide Talk because um, it is so, uh, it's so amazing to watch God work through this. It really is. So we, we don't do enough understanding the miracles of the Lord or see that. And Faith Radio, you get to see that when people out of nowhere come forward and say, I believe what you're saying, and I want to support it. That is a miracle in itself. It is. So if you have a question for Guide Talk, let me know what it is, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. I did something I normally don't do with Guide Talk. I gave some questions to you guys in advance. <laughs> you did. How dare I do that? Well, it was good. The one about Dairy Queen where they like chocolate <laughs> or like caramel was really wonderful. Yeah, so I, knew, I knew you would like that one. Yeah, huh? I'm ready yeah. to go. Yeah. So here's a question. Uh, because it is a fruit of the Spirit, is self-control a teachable skill like in Titus 2? Or is it a gift of the Spirit? You know, there's a great theological masterpiece movie called Bruce Almighty. Um, <laughs> it's starring uh, Jim Carrey. And, and at one point in the time in the movie, he goes, do you know... When you ask God for patience, does he just give you patience or does he put you in situations where you have to learn patience? I think there's a part of the different fruits of the Spirit that we can try to practice and, in fact, improve on. I think we can learn to love people better. I think we can learn and practice being more patient in our lives. But what I have found is that when I am connecting more to the Lord— when I am abiding in him more, when I'm in his word more, when I'm fixing my eyes more on him, you know what I see in my life? I see more love (laughs) and joy and patience and self-control. So I think there's a certain amount that we, we can try to practice and maybe improve a little bit. But if you really want the fullness of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and self-control, which is what the question was about, Mm -hmm. I think you trust in him, you seek him, you fix your eyes on him, and that fruit 
will be more evident in your life. I can jump right off of that because you're exactly right. So often I hear Christians say, well, should I try to be more patient? You know, about the time I try to do that, I find myself in trouble. What I've learned is that the fruit of the Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit is bringing it into my life while I cooperate with what he's doing. And too often, I don't cooperate. So I get in a situation where somebody drives me crazy. And instead of being patient with them and listening to them, even though I know how to do it, I want to get out of there. I want to do something else. And that's then when the Spirit reminds me, this is part of the learning process, Tom. You know, sit still and listen and Mm -hmm. behave in the midst of this. And it's only taken me 40 years to learn this stuff, but, you know, I'm getting better. I'm, I'm still got a ways to go, but I'm learning. But the goal that I have is to cooperate with the fruit of the Spirit and not let the Spirit go, I know, um, unrecognized. And when you're trusting Him, it becomes more natural for you, doesn't it? Does. It does. The more you do it, the more it grows inside of you and becomes part of who you are by nature. When you hear the word self-control, do you quickly connect it to the word uh, temptation? Yes or no? Yes, I do. I think huh? of that. Yeah. Yes and no. Okay. I, I do, yes, definitely a temptation. But the biggest problem with self-control is not just temptation, it's my character. When, I de- when I'm not aligned with Jesus, and I even as a Christian, there are days my mind is not aligned like it should be. Believe me, I can have problems, mm-hmm. and I can look at things the wrong way. I think temptation is what comes to our minds first, but it is. It's a lot more characteristics. Are you self-controlled in, in even your eating and your, you know, what you're going to say to someone, you know? Some people don't have that filter on their mouth, right? They just say whatever enters their brain. It's like that, that's a lack of self-control. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of areas. It's, a, you know, many areas that you need to display self-control. Um, but I, I think the temptation part is part of it, or a big part of it. I, I think of that verse whenever I see self-control. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Um, the desires of the flesh are many, mm-hmm. right? And, and our, part of our natural old self is to fulfill those desires of our flesh. But if you're keeping in step with the Spirit, the idea is I'm not going to love the world or anything in it because mm-hmm. my mind is set on things above. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, self-control becomes being attentive to the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And it's not simply I'm going to try harder because most of us can't try harder and make it happen. So what it is is you, you simply say, I give up. I'm ready to let the Spirit work in me, and I will do what you lead me to do. And I tell people all the time in my church, keep asking for divine appointments, opportunities from the Holy Spirit that will help you grow, help you be a blessing, help other people come to know the Lord. And what's fun, after doing that now for the last year and a half, I'm now starting to get testimonies on a regular basis. Mm, good. But the goal of repentance is to hate sin. Yeah, I think repentance specifically is turning from that sin, right? Right. That, that con- the idea of confession about your sin is to agree with God that, hey, this is sin, this yeah. is wrong, this is not consistent with God's will for my life. And then, of course, the repentance part is then God wants us to turn from that. Um, even that, as you were just saying, doing that in the power of the Spirit versus in your own power, mm-hmm. right? Uh, remembering Romans 6 that says, hey, you've died to sin, how can you live in it any longer? Know that you've been crucified to this sin. Yeah. Count yourself dead to sin and submit yourself to God. That's the kind of the outline of Romans 6. Know, reckon, yield. Mm-hmm. Jeff Dorn and Tom Parrish are my guests for Guide Talk. Let me know what questions you have. 877-933-2484. Sorry to interrupt you, Tom. No, no, I can, I can be quiet. 
Okay. But I can also talk. <laughs> <laughs> I like that part about you. Here's the thing that I think is interesting. Years ago, I saw a drawing, or it was a, like a, almost like a cartoon, and it was explaining the difference between conversion and repentance. Conversion is a turning around completely from where you were headed. Repentance, and what the illustrator did is he, he took the top of my the he drew my picture, but he took the top of my head off, and now I exchange my brain for Jesus' brain. In other words, repentance is not just, I'm sorry for what I've done, but repentance is, I want your mind now, Lord Jesus, toward that from this moment on, and I want to walk in your mind from this moment forward. And the more I learn to do that, I haven't cut my head off lately, but I mean, I work on this all the time. How do I think like you, Jesus, when it comes to other people, circumstances, temptations, things like that, rather than what have I got to do not to make this happen? All right, so let me run this by you guys one more time because the first question I asked, if you just joined Guy Talk, is because it is a fruit of the Spirit, is self-control a teachable skill like in Titus 2, or or is it a gift of the Spirit? So is it a teachable skill? Let me ask you this. Uh, I'm just making up this example. Mm-hmm. This is not my reality. Uh, you guys counsel me, all right? Okay, Tom, Jeff, I'm, I'm having this struggle with gambling. So when I go to the casino... I say to myself, I'm not going to head over to the slot machines. And I'm doing pretty good, and then I always end up there. Do you have any advice for me? Stop, <laughs> stop going to the casino. There you go. <laughs> That's a teachable skill. That is a teachable skill. <laughs> but that doesn't mean at home you still don't have the desire. I get it. But at home is where you keep turning to Jesus you know, and saying, uh-uh. I tell people all the time, you need another Christian in your life, like a Jeff, who you can call or can say, you know, Jeff, I, I want to go to the casino. What have I got to do? Jeff says, come over and we'll have coffee. I like it. And we'll talk. We need things like that. You know, it's a, a change of a behavior. It's, there's so many of our human behaviors that are just habitual, right? And and you get in a rut and you get stuck in it. That's why there's a certain amount of, if you will, Christian discipline that says, hey, I'm going to do this every day. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take some time purposefully and get into the word. Because I know that if you really want your life changed, one of the most powerful ways to do that is get this word into your heart. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Uh, The psalmist says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So uh, Romans says, Paul says it this way, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So one of the things that you do is you find that good Christian friend and hopefully they will bring the word of God of to bear course. in your life and help you study it and, and apply it to your life, um, you know, day by day by day. Mm, so good. All right, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, lots of time today for your questions. Guy Talk will be extended. I'm looking forward to that, being here around the table with my friends Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn. So your questions are welcome, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484, a number this week I think I've said 6,000 times. <laughs> anyway, we'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill Arnold. You might be the kind of person that goes to Paris and still listens to Faith Radio on the app. Or you might be more like the person that goes into the next room in your apartment and listens. The good news is, is using the app is just as easy in both places. Downloading the free app is crazy easy. Just text the word APP to 877-933-2484 and click the link. And if you happen to be in Paris, there is a really nice little coffee shop not far from the Eiffel Tower that serves a really nice chocolate biscotti. 
That's a happy little riff, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I like that. Good stuff. Yeah. If you just joined the show, it's Guy Talk, which means uh, any question you have, our panel will do their very best to try to answer it. And I had a great question come in from a listener. In a recent Bible study, we were discussing God's will. In the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Thy will be done. Mm-hmm. How should we pray, always keeping God's will at the forefront of our prayers? I love that. It's a good question. Great question. Uh, because most of us don't think in those terms most of the time. We think about what's best for me, what's best for my family, or even what's best for my local church. And I understand that. But to begin to think, what is the Lord's will? And then it's really a mandate. If you read, the, if you look at the whole entire Lord's Prayer there, it's not only, you know, what is thy will, but to do it on earth that is in heaven. We are to literally take it out and be the building blocks of his kingdom to help make that happen. And that may be new ministries, that may be setting with someone who's dying, that may be a variety of things. But too often, um, I don't think we think it beyond just our immediate circumstance. And I'm always encouraging people think bigger than just this extreme, this moment, although you got to deal with that too. Hmm. You know, that, that prayer, thy will be done, uh, is also a promise that it will be done. Yeah. You know, I, I've read the back of the book. Um, God wins, right? His will will be done in the end. Amen. And uh, and and that's despite eight billion little wills doing their own will in this world every single day. So how powerful is a God? You know, there there are some in Christianity that believe that that God causes all things, and that everything that happens is according to God's will. Right, mm-hmm. um, I don't think that is what scripture, the picture of scripture paints. I think that in the end, God's will will be done, despite the fact that there's a whole bunch of people doing their own will. So it's one of the great promises of God that His He wins in the end. His will will be done in the end. So what about in our own lives? How do we do God's will in our own life? How do we know God's will? In our own life. You were just talking about this a little bit, and it first came to my mind. It says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We just talked about this verse mm-hmm. before the break. But the rest of that verse is, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Yep. I mean, I think all of us who believe in Christ and trust in him have this desire to want to do his will in our lives, whatever that is. And, uh, and, and so don't conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Then you will know what God's will is for your life. Mm-hmm. Well, you think about it, it's the perfection. The Lord's will is always perfect. My will isn't. My will has a tendency to miss the mark. So when we pray, thy will be done, we're saying, align my will, Lord, with your will, so I hit the target where I want to hit it. Mm. And uh, if we do that, it's an incredible thing to watch it happen. Because then the Lord, we see the Lord's hand in what we're doing and what others are doing and give him the praise. All right, let's go to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, where it says, Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect. And the question is, that just came in, if Jesus was fully God and fully man, how does learning obedience apply. You know, one of the things I love about Guy Talk is 
almost every week, we get a question uh, on some passages like, oh, man, I've always kind of struggled with that passage and, <laughs> and always kind of thought about yeah. that and always kind of – this is one of these that that I have thought about often. Why Christ learned obedience. What, what does that mean? I, I kind of get the rest of it. Once made perfect – he became the source of eternal salvation for those who obey him. Well, I think that's perfection is in his glorification when he rose from the dead. Okay, I got that down. And I get the son part. He came from God. He was the son of God. That means he came forth from God. God made Christ in the womb of the virgin. And then there's this learned obedience part. Learned obedience part. He's God in the flesh. I, I, here's where I lean I lean to the fact that he was also man, and he was human, and he experienced humanity and the human condition just like you and me, only he did it perfectly. I think you're right on, Jeff, honestly, because he did not sin, and he was not prone to disobedience. Mm-hmm. He's got no lesson to learn through suffering because of disobedience, correct? Mm-hmm. Right? So I think he had fully entered into the human experience, and I think that's what that verse means. I agree. But what do I know? I'm just the host. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're right on the money. In verse 9 where it says, and be made perfect, I think perfect is a difficult word for us in English because I'm looking at the original Greek word. And it can also mean the complete consummation. In other words, he achieved his total goal. And so it's not that Jesus was imperfect and had to somehow get perfect, you know, kind of get up there, but that he perfectly completed what he was called to do. So it wasn't so much about his character, although he learned obedience, and the obedience enabled him to do that because he said, I only do what I see my father doing. And Philippians 2 said he gave up his godly power and authority and followed his heavenly father. I think that's an incredible passage. And so it has nothing to do with Jesus needing to be perfect. He lived the perfect life, but what he did is he perfectly fulfilled the will of God the Father for our salvation. Let me take what you just said and tie it into our last question about God's will. Jesus, in in that state that you just described, said, not my will, but your will be done. And therefore, he did complete it. He did perfect it because he always did the Father's will. Okay, I have part two to the, the the will of the Father and that thy will be done first question. Here's part two of that question. We have heard people critically say that when you pray thy will be done, it's just a way to be able to say, well, it wasn't God's will when their prayer appears to have not been answered. How should we respond to such a criticism? I think it's always easy to... Take the easy way out. And that's what I would say with that. What's the easy way out? Well, the easy way out is to simply say, well, God didn't want that. So, you know, it's, it's not what I want. It's, not, it's what he wants. People are praying for a pregnancy because they're having trouble getting pregnant. Yep. And the baby doesn't happen. It's another miscarriage. How do you say, well, that was God's will? Well, if you say that's God's will, it's it's one way to to escape that. If you look at it another way, what does the Lord want me to learn through this? How do I become more like him through this difficult circumstance, just as Jesus did, because he went through difficult circumstances, to become more like the Lord? And I am really reticent at at giving any negativism to the Lord in Mm -hmm. terms of a baby dying in the womb or babies being aborted or the Holocaust, you know, people who died in the Holocaust, because it's too easy in Christianity to say, well, that was God's will. I agree. Well, I am not there. I'm not—I don't believe in that. I don't 
espouse that. What I see is that in the midst of all that crazy stuff that goes on in a broken world where people have miscarriages and where bad things happen, the Lord is still working through that to bring out of it his will for our good and for the best of the kingdom of God. This is a a pretty deep philosophical kind of point and question. Is it God's will that someone doesn't get pregnant in your question versus, oh, it must be God's will that they do get pregnant? Do we know if it's God's will that they do or don't get pregnant? In other words, if someone wants to get pregnant and they're not getting pregnant in what you just described, if something bad happens in someone's life, people do often, even in Christianity, want to blame God for it. And I think we forget that we live in a Genesis 3 world. We live in a world that is fallen. Creation is frustrated. Man is has fallen and separated from God and sinful. All creation is groaning at, and and there's sin in this world. The the in the garden, Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of evil and opened up this this gate to to all the evil that we now have in this world. This is not how God designed it. So when we say, well, why does bad stuff happen? Why do we insist on bringing God into the picture when we have the world, the flesh, and the devil to blame and the fall? We have a whole bunch of fallen people with fallen natures making bad decisions. We have an enemy roaming the earth looking for people to kill and steal and destroy um, and, and a totally enemy enemy of our soul And we have all creation that's been frustrated by this fall. There, I think, is where you want to place the blame for some of these bad things that are happening. There is nothing in your life, the listener's life, or my life that Jesus has ever done toward us that was bad. There is no evil. Absolutely. There's none Good of comment, it. Tom Parrish. The goal is he wants to form us into his image so that we learn to live in this world that is so unjust, that is so broken from Adam and Eve, that is so broken with sin, but in this world to represent him and begin to give people a new understanding of who he is and what he really wants for us. We don't do a good job of doing that. I'm not justifying our behavior. It's not. It's wrong. But no, he never does anything negative or bad toward us. It's always for our good and the good of the kingdom of God. We just keep missing the point too often. All right, this question opened up a fizzy can of pop. Uh, it says, this next comment was, sometimes when praying, I pray for strength and guidance, but sometimes I think if God's will be done and things are kind of predestined with God, is that really what I should pray for? As he knows my thoughts, so is my prayer redundant to him? And we got a 30 seconds. We can pick this up at the other side of the hour. This is a big one, too. I agree. What, can we pick it up at? Oh, after? absolutely, yeah, yeah. I, I, You know, because if you're going to place bad stuff and evil at God's feet, it's, it's just like Tom was just saying, God is a good God. God doesn't do evil. If God doesn't even tempt people to sin, he doesn't cause people to sin, and therefore he doesn't cause evil. Um, I get this is debated in the church, but Scripture is clear. God is good. He doesn't do evil. Amen. We'll take a break and come back with plenty old guy talk remaining because we're going to go another 60 minutes starting from right now. So thank you for your questions. They're wonderful. We'd love more. 877-933-2484. Be right back.
the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, what's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. I'm in the uh, very best mood because we just concluded our spring fundraiser and you were spectacular in your giving and your generosity and also in your love. You poured on love to us like uh, we really appreciate it. So thank you for affirming what we do here at Faith Radio because we're here to serve the King and to advance the gospel to uh, all four corners of the earth, even though the earth is round, right? (laughs) (laughs) Got to be careful what I say. Okay. Uh, Jeff, right before the break, we were chatting. Jeff Redorn and Tom Parrish are my guests. And the, and the comment or the question was, sometimes when praying, I pray for strength and guidance. But sometimes I think if God's will be done and things are kind of predestined with God, is that really what I should pray for as he knows my thoughts? So is my prayer redundant to him? Let's look at the assumption in that question. Are things all really predestined by God? I think some in Christianity have kind of a fatalistic view of God that everything has been determined by God and he causes all things to happen. And this is kind of the continuation of what we were talking about just before the break. And it takes away this component called free will, that we have a choice. And free will is evident in Scripture all over the place. I I remember when Joshua, at the end of kind of his ministry, at the end of the book, he says, choose this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's an expression of free will. You have to decide. You have to choose. Uh, Elijah with the prophets of Baal, how long will you waver between the two? If God is God, worship him. And, And it comes through all the way through the New Testament. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. These are all functions of our free will. So it's not wrong to pray that way. We want to pray and do what is consistent with God's will. So I think a prayer that says, Lord, lead me in your will is a very appropriate kind of prayer. One thing we need to remember that when the translators translate these words from Greek or Hebrew and put them into English— they have to limit themselves because most of the words in, in Greek, as you know, Jeff, have a much deeper meaning than we ever get in English. Predestined, I think, was a mistake by the translators long ago. I'm not sure who did it. But we have an understanding of predestined, which means it's it's going to happen. doesn't matter what we think about it. It's going to be our end result. Some are going to go to heaven and some are going to go to hell. That's a popular teaching. That's not what predestined is. I look here in the scriptures and I was just looking again. It's that the Lord has created a design, and that design he wants us to fit into, and that's ultimately where he's leading us, and that design is going to be just like our Savior, Jesus Christ. But along the way, we make a lot of mistakes, we do a lot of things wrong, but even in the midst of that, we have a faithful Lord who says, okay, Jeff, you took three steps the wrong way, I'm going to take you four the other way now, and he knows how to get us back on track and ultimately get us where he wants us to be. That is biblical predestination. You know... Predestination only shows up a couple times in Scripture, twice, really, in Ephesians and, and in Romans. And you, I think you were just describing kind of the Ephesians one, that we were predestined according to his plan, which you kind of intimated to in your, in your response there. The other one is that we're predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, right? And I, I actually think that is a glorification passage, not that some are predestined to be saved, but that the saved are predestined to to be glorified. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So look, your life 
is a, a, a function of the decisions that you make. Now, God knows those decisions. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows who's going to choose him and who's not going to choose him. But in the end, you are responsible for aligning your will with God's. And that was the first part of that question. Mm-hmm. Well, not only do we seek salvation when we come to Jesus, you know, so that we don't go to hell, but we go to heaven and, and whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the exact moment God the Father says, guess what, Jeff? Now I'm going to do everything in your life to make you look just like Jesus in every way I can because I want you to pursue him with your whole heart, and I'm going to shape your thinking, I'm going to shape your attitude, I'm going to shape your words, and I'm going to let you go through some rough stuff to get there. But my goal is, in the end, really good, and just pay attention to what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. How often do we hear that? We, we have this attitude, okay, I'm, I'm saved, I'm going to go to heaven, which is fine, and I agree with that. But I think in discipleship, we don't understand what we're really here to do. We're here to become the power and the presence of Jesus as his hands and feet in this world and let the God the Father and the Holy Spirit shape us mm. to be just like him. Mm. That's the goal. More mm. like him. Great comment that came in. It said, God doesn't do evil, but because he doesn't always stop evil, it feels like he does do evil. Yeah, I, I agree with that. They blame him because he didn't stop it. I agree with that, yeah. But here's the problem. He could solve that with a snap of his fingers. But he'd have to take away, Bill, your free will, my free will, your free will, everybody's free will. And we become robots and we would do just exactly what we wanted. But he has given us a free will to where we can still make choices between good and evil. Even as believers, we can make choices between good and evil. And I would certainly like to see that gone, except in my case. Mm-hmm. But you know, that's kind of the problem. Free will is what we're running into. And you know what? He has said that he is going to do away with evil. Yep. One day he's going to return and he's going to take the enemy and the devil. And in the end, like we said at the beginning of the hour, God wins. And his new eternal state, the new heaven, new earth, New Jerusalem, he says, and nothing unrighteous will ever enter into it. Mm-hmm. Like you and I have always said, you can summarize Revelation in two words. Jesus wins. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's a question, gentlemen. Tom Parrish, Jeff Dorn on my power panel on Guy Talk. Send your questions over 877-933-2484. All right, gentlemen. I was at a pet store with my young boys, ages four and six. I was approached by two transgender employees. I struggled with being uncomfortable thinking about how to explain these things to my kids afterwards. Of course, I was polite and kept thinking on how Jesus would want me to communicate with these individuals. Would it be Christ-like to not shop at this store in the future because of their employees and not wanting to subject my kids to transgenderism? You know, I've got, I think I, what I would ask the person first is, have they been to other stores where the clerk was not a believer in Christ, was sinful, was lost, and would they not shop at that store? In other words, are, are you going to decide that you're not going to go to any store? Those, are, a, those would be hidden sinful hidden. things, though, versus something that appears yep. more troublesome. So first step... We got to recognize that there's lost people in the world, right? Yeah. And and so you're right, because this sin is a little more um, um, evident, more yeah. visual, and you got to decide, you got young kids, right? It's the same thing if you come across somebody that 
is massively, you know, tattooed out and has piercings all over the body and so on. If I had a young child, I wouldn't want my child to be exposed to that as well. It's kind of something similar. So the first step is, look, the world's lost. There's sinful people all over the place. They all need a savior and to be saved. Now, the next step is what is appropriate for young kids. And in this sense, uh, transgenderism, especially when it comes to some of the stuff that's starting to happen now, where we're seeing these shows in schools and in libraries and so on, there is explicit sexual uh, presentations to grade school kids. I'm sorry. I don't care if this is heterosexual, homosexual, trans, whatever. That is not appropriate for young kids. Amen. So if if the parent believes that exposing their kids to something like that is not appropriate, then yes. Then I would say, then don't visit the store. And the good news is there's a pet store on every practically every corner. There is. Correct. There's plenty of options. If you're a Christian parent and you're concerned about this, there are two things you can do. And Jeff, you touched on them. Number one, there are some things that should not be happening in our public libraries, happening in our public schools, having somebody else decide who our kids are exposed to that are transgendered or cross-dressers or whatever that may be. And as a Christian, you have a legitimate right, regardless of what anybody says, to stand up for Jesus, to go to those board meetings and to be heard and to keep pushing and not allow that to go away. The second thing is, how often have we quoted, raise up a child in the way that he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. And we think that means Sunday school. No, this is the most teaching time possible. Now, I'm not sure about a four-year-old, but maybe a six-year-old, because I've seen six-year-olds profess faith in Jesus, you know, and and uh, be welcomed into the church and mm-hmm. baptized even as at six years old. So there's a they can do that. It's there. I already see the potential. Talk to them about it. This is not Jesus' will. The way what these people are doing. He made us male and female, but these people are having trouble. We need to pray for them. We need to be patient with them and listen to them. But no, that is not what the Lord Jesus wants. And too often we try to hide our kids like we're taking them to Siberia instead of putting them out in the world and giving them the tools of the gospel to stand up. My kids all went to Christian school, K through 12. They all three went to also Christian universities, by the way. And I had a relative, he's no longer with us, but uh, on my wife's side that used to kind of get after me for raising my children in a bubble. Right, and I never saw it as a bubble. If if it was a bubble, it was a protective bubble because I don't want my kids just exposed right. to everything that's in the world uh, at random. I I wanted to to guide and control to a certain degree what they were exposed to, when they were exposed to it, and what they were taught about it when they were exposed Amen. to it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and so if the parent believes that it, that their children are not ready to be exposed to something like that, then I would go someplace else. But it's also a teachable opportunity. Yeah. I'm wondering this uh, question that came in from this listener. Is gender not a soft name of an imaginary inner identity that is not connected to a person's reality? You know, I looked up gender in the old Webster's Dictionary. I think it's like the 1859 Dictionary (laughs) or whatever. And I thought, okay, what is historically... Yeah. As the word gender meant. Just 10 years ago, it still meant the same thing. Gender meant sex. What sex were you, either male or female? The way God now, created. The way God created it. It's in the last 10 years that the word gender has become more what you just described, kind of a, how, how do you identify? Mm-hmm. Um, that's not what gender historically yeah. has meant. But look, in a lot of ways, we've lost 
the definition of gender. So we need to start using maybe some different language like biological sex. So I hear biological sex more and more now in the last couple of years to describe a biological male and a biological female. Here's why I challenge the church leaders. We expect Christians, you know, you send your kids to Christian schools, so did I, and I have no problem with that at all. But that is not the total solution. It is part of the solution. But the the leaders have to be teaching, even the adults, how to speak out in this world, how to stand up against these things. I just wrote an article on, on Facebook, you know, uh, was Jesus transphobic? That's my <laughs> title. You know, and he said, I created the male and female, you know, and that, no, he's not transphobic. What we're doing is we're trying to create a Jesus of our imagination to get what we want rather than submitting to what he has designed. And so I think that definition that Bill gave is in the ballpark. We're creating something that doesn't exist to satisfy our own needs. And yet that is not what the Lord wants. And Christians and Christian leaders need to be teaching their people not only about how to get to heaven when they die, which I'm all for, but also how to live in this world and to stand up for Jesus in the midst of these things, which most don't seem to know how to do. And the church is not standing up for this simple truth that God made a male and he made a female. I was in a church just a few months ago, and the pastor talked about this very issue in God's design of gender, what you were just describing. And there was a lot of people in the congregation going, isn't it wonderful that the pastor was teaching on this? And on and on. It's like, well, yeah, I guess, but this is a pretty simple truth. This is kind of like a Genesis 1 kind of truth <laughs> that we should all understand, right? Yeah. But I get that it's not being taught in the church as much because pastors are afraid to stand and take a stance, a biblical stance on gender. I'd like to bring in my beloved teammate, Rosie, just for a minute. Usually we call her Larry when she joins Guy's Talk, just to <laughs> make sure that we have uh, an all-male panel. But right. she she had an experience a couple of years ago, which I found utterly shocking, mm-hmm. and the response from the gym was even more utterly shocking. Rosie, would you share that? So I was working out, and um, this this conversation is uh, has so much tension in it to show love, but also also have um, established boundaries um, around God's word in who we are. And I think women often are um, are in uh, the mix here because it's often our physical safety that is at risk. And so at the gym, uh, there was a transgender person, of course, able to use the gym. Locker and room. Locker room. Not the yeah, gym, the locker room. Not the room. gym, the locker room. And so when I went up to the front desk and I said, that makes me very uncomfortable can't we find a, a private bathroom or something um, or a different solution? And they said, yeah, the solution is you do not have to be a member anymore. You can leave. You can leave. That's crazy? That's crazy. Yes. And mm. so it's not, there wasn't even a conversation about, I would like to love, I would like to understand, but not at the risk of my own safety or being comfortable. And I think there, women are in that position a lot right now. You know, there's a prison in Washington that has kind of led the way in, placing transgender women, biological men who, who are, are transgender women in women's prisons, um, rapists and, and other molesters who have raped women and so on, because they're still biological men after all. And a video just came out on the internet this week. I just watched it yesterday. And it is hidden camera footage of a lot of the women in the prison crying out that saying, we are, we are being attacked. We are, we are being assaulted by the transgender uh, women who are biological women in this prison. It is 
it is it, it it I cannot understand a society that would put women at risk like that. I just don't understand it. All right, we got to take a break. We'll come back with plenty more guy talk. We're going to go an extended version, which means. 30 more minutes, well, 40 more minutes. So plenty of time for your questions. Send them over, 877-933-2484. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com. I love that music. Creates that sense of tension. What are they going to say next? It's a little, <laughs> it's we a wonder creepy. that too. It's like, <laughs> they don't know either. What there's someone say. coming up the steps to the mansion, and I don't know what they're going to do. <laughs> I love it. We're taking your questions. Thanks for the ones you've already sent over, 877-933-2484. Here's a question. How were the disciples resisting sin without the Holy Spirit in them? Not well. <laughs> good, good answer, Tom. I mean, they they were human beings. They were they didn't really know who Jesus was. They were starting to get an unfolding, and the power came at Pentecost when things began to really change for the believers. But up to that, I mean, look at Peter. How did Peter react? He still denied Jesus three times, and then Jesus had to go renew that at the seashore. You know, do you love me? So the, I don't think they did real well. But once you become a disciple, once Jesus, the risen Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes, anyone who claims his name has the power. The problem I see is most of us don't know how to exercise that power. And we've got to learn how to put it to work in difficult situations and especially temptation. I just did a teaching on John 21, the do you love me? And it's fascinating. Uh, we were mentioning the Greek earlier. In the English you don't get what's happening in John 21 when Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Because two different words are used for love. And really quickly, Jesus says, Peter, do you agapeo me? Yes. Do you love me with everything you got? And Peter replies, you know, Lord, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I brotherly love you. I love you like a brother. Right, So Jesus asks him a second time, Peter, do you agapeo me? Do you love me with everything you have? And, and Peter says, you know that I phileo you. And a third time, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you phileo me? He's saying, basically, is that all you got for me, Peter? Yep. Brotherly love. And, and the scripture says that Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And some will say he was hurt because he asked him a third time. It's like, no, 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 no. He was hurt because Jesus changed the question. Yep. And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. At that moment, prior to the Holy Spirit coming, that's all the love Peter could muster for his Lord. But I can tell you this, once the Holy Spirit came and once he spoke to the crowds boldly at Pentecost and once he spoke to the Pharisees boldly and he said, we cannot help but speak about what we've seen and heard. And the Peter that wrote first and second Peter, I can guarantee you that Peter would say, Lord, I agapeo you with yep. everything I have. Good word. Mm, I like it. 
uh, listen to me, <laughs> is the text number 877-933-2484 is the number to text over. You know, you hear I thought this? he was going to ask us for money here. <laughs> <laughs> I was ready to give. Not that you guys brought it up. Do you guys have yeah. wallets we with got, you today? We, we, we did. Bring we your did. wallets. All right. So you've heard that expression more than a thousand times lately that love is love, but aren't there, aren't, don't dishonorable passions incur the wrath of God? Well, first of all, I learned when I was a debate coach, whoever sets the question wins the debate. (laughs) So if you start with love is love, no, it isn't. It isn't. Love isn't love the way we define it in this world. Love is the way Jesus defines it. And the problem is, and the word of God defines it, the problem is most of us never understand that. And so we allow the emotions, we allow the sexuality, we allow other things to drive that love. And that's why you see people going through two, three, four, five relationships or marriages or whatever else. The point is, the Christian goal is to discover, as Jeff was talking about earlier, what does Jesus mean by love and put that to work? And Jesus' concept of love when it comes to marriage is one man and one woman. Mm-hmm. I don't care how I feel about it. You know, my feelings are my feelings. I need to align my feelings now with Jesus' truth. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. Love is not love. So let's change the premise of the question. As we were just talking about, we know that there is an agape kind of love, this self-sacrificial love that looks out for the benefit of the other. This is the love that God has for us. There is this phileo love, this brotherly love, love, like, you know, I love you, Tom, like a a brother. The city of Philadelphia. The city of Philadelphia. There's also the heiress love, right? This, this, um, you know, more sexualized love type of love as well in the Greek. And these are all different Greek words. In English, we just have love. Yep, That's about all we have. And we also, in English, use love as kind of a word to describe those things that bring us pleasure, right? I love cookies. I love pizza. I love my truck. I love whatever. These are the things that I get gratification from, and that is not agape love, Mm -hmm. right? So first and foremost, we better define what love means. Then we can start figuring out what we love and how we should love it. It's clear that love can be sinful. Uh, Eros kind of love, a lustful kind of love, absolutely. Right. Or a self-gratifying love. Yes. As we use it. I love, you know, uh, whatever, I'm trying to think of something that's sinful that you might want. I love money. I love wealth, you know, I love whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, that means your heart's in the wrong place. Of course. Right? And, God, and Jesus says, do not love the things of this world. Mm-hmm. And, and um, there you can have all kinds of dishonorable passions that left without repentance will incur the wrath of God. Absolutely. So, love is love is a big lie. I think its roots came from some um, occult uh, leader, some guy named Aleister Crowley. I think he he came coined that phrase, the love is love. That That comes from from a fairly wicked person. <laughs> when I'm out in public and I run into people and they say things like this to me, they know I'm a pastor or whatever, I, I rarely answer the question directly what they've just asked. I ask, usually go for definitions. Well, let's talk about how you define love. I'll tell you how I define it. You tell me how you define it. And we start from there, and it gives us an equal basis to, to talk honestly to one mm-hmm. another. But if I automatically jump in, well, yeah, love is love, I've already lost the debate. True. I totally agree. You you have to have a, a common understanding. I think the the idea that love is love uh, has has also been used by some of the 
you know, uh, agendas that we see in our country today, the homosexual agenda and so on. It says, well, love is love. I remember when the debate was going on in our home state, Minnesota, for the marriage amendment that was going to define marriage as between a man and a woman, and it lost for the first time in our country in, in the state of Minnesota after being passed in about eight other states prior to that. I remember a number of folks that I knew who were Christians who supported gay marriage were posting things like another Christian for love, right? And it's like, no, we meet, we need to make a distinction between good love in God's eyes and, and the world's definition of love. I'm absolutely convinced that in most churches, um, your more liturgical churches have kind of like a table or altar up front, usually a cross behind it. Others have different things. Here's the problem. In most churches, Jesus has been taken down from being the center. And love, the way we define it, has been put up there. And so long as we're loving one another, you know, that's all that matters. And the devil's delighted, and Jesus says, absolutely no. And, and let's, even though God says, do not love the world, he doesn't mean the people of this world. Let's just wrap this up to remind everybody that God loves everybody. Yeah. He has an agapeo kind of love for every single person on this planet. In fact, he's demonstrated that love for each and every person by sending his son to die on a cross for them. That's how much he loves you. And he calls us as believers, as the church, to love the world. We are to love that person in the locker room, as you just described. All right, we'll take a break and come back. Good news, extended guide talk will take place after the break. Send your questions over, 877-933-2484. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.